The goal of this podcast is for you and I to learn from Christians whose heart's desire is to serve and please God. I pray that this discussion will challenge and inspire you to do more for our Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the eighth episode with missionary to Nepal, Rob Rabado. He brings some great thoughts on prayer and how to prepare for ministry. If this helps you, please consider leaving a review of the podcast. Welcome to Mike and Curry Live. Two, Hope you enjoy. And one. We are live with Brother Rob Rabideau, missionary in Nepal, and I appreciate him taking the time to be with us. Got the internet connection sorted out. We were just talking before we went live about as far away as you can possibly get. If you gave us air miles, Brother Rob, what are we looking at um, for travel to get there? It's hard to say because you never go direct, but uh, somewhere around 7,500 miles. Crazy. Crazy. Now, what kind of uh, travel time would you be looking at, assuming mostly air travel with all the The different stops you'd have to do? We always end up going through the Middle East um, and we try to take a stop over there that gives us a little bit of time to rest. Uh, So it ends up being something. Okay, the first leg is 16 hours. Second leg is normally about six hours. So uh, depending on the layover. Wow. Crazy. Lots of fun i'm sure with with kids and all that stuff but with a rob robado and, and just a quick disclaimer um with being where he is and i believe this is i'm trying to think this is the first intercontinental mike mccurry live that, that we're doing so i appreciate that but with the connection if it goes out on either of our ends we'll i'll just feel airtime and, and hopefully he's able to get it connected back up if not we'll finish another time but not a problem but rob could you give us just a quick intro to yourself in 50 to 100 words, who you are, what you're doing, what you're all about. Uh, my name is Rob Rabido. I'm a missionary to Nepal, uh, father, husband, got two sons, and we've lived here since 2011. And uh, we're enjoying serving the Lord here on the mission field. Awesome. Fantastic. Now, you are an interesting man. I posted a little bit of your fun facts from your website and uh, had a little bit of fun with that. And your brother chimed in, John, I believe. And, and so we had a good time with that. Um, but you, ha- you have an interesting, I'm sure you have many interesting stories. And it, maybe we'll get into that just a little bit. But you, you're a missionary there. I've been there for year, a couple of years now, a few years now. And uh, in Nepal, where? give us geographically, whereabouts are we looking? Well, if you're familiar with the... Kathmandu Valley, we are on the south side of the Kathmandu Valley, and our altitude is just a little bit higher than uh, Denver, you know, the Mile High City, but we are um, probably in a pretty low spot compared to the mountains that surround us here. Okay. Okay. Now, how far from some of the biggest peaks are, are you, would you, you, I think I saw something about um riding mountain bikes in the himalayas or something like that uh how, how far from the from the highest peaks are, are, are we, would you have to go it's kind of funny because we are surrounded by mountains and okay. especially what we would call mountains in the u.s but mm-hmm. here if it doesn't have snow on the top of it it's not a mountain okay so we've got we've got several they call them hills that surround us here and they're still you know big as the you know smoky mountains that sort of thing right. and in fact we had you know, some of our winter rains, we got snow on the dust this past week. But, you know, to the north, when we look to the north, especially after a, a good few days of rain, it is just 
outstanding. The day before yesterday, I had some amazing views and it's, it's amusing trying to get photos of them with a cell phone, you know, nowadays, cause it just doesn't do it justice, but we've got a right. panorama of beautiful mountains that surround us. And what do they say? I forget the statistics, but eight of the 10 tallest in the world are in yeah. Nepal. And yeah. I don't know the, I don't know all the names and the numbers and whatnot, but I know where Mount Everest is in relation to our home. If we're up on the roof, we can look that direction. And my father claims that he saw it from a roof. Now, my father has better eyesight than I have. Okay. So I don't argue with him. Sure. But I can't say that I have ever seen uh, Mount Everest from the Kathmandu right. Valley itself. And gotcha. a lot of people say that it's not possible. We'll see. Gotcha. Okay. Well, maybe he's, he's just Superman. He just has that ability. I think he is. Like you said, don't argue with him. I do that. know for a fact, though that he has memorized the eye chart. So okay. I don't know if he actually has good <laughs> eyesight or if he just fooled the doctor into okay. saying that he does. Gotcha. Gotcha. Now, speaking of your dad, let's get into a little bit of your background. And I, I, I honestly, I don't want to treat this any differently than I would a normal interview, though you being a missionary, you're on the other side of the world and we can get wrapped up in geography and, and culture and all this stuff. And I want to talk about that stuff, but what's your background? Where you, where, how did you end up in Nepal? Origin story, Rob Robito, comic book number one, where would we go? Wow. You know, the story of my life is just an amazing interconnecting of crazy disparate events that seemingly did not connect, but the Lord knew exactly where he was leading. And, you know, I grew up in a Christian home. Not that that makes me a Christian, but it means that I was exposed to good preaching, exposed to the gospel at a very young age. And I came to know Christ as my Savior at the age of four and got baptized soon after. And my parents tell me that even from that, you know, when I was just a little kid, always trying to get my my younger brother saved and share the gospel, you know, preaching to him, all that sort of stuff. And trust me, he needed it. You know, if you know him. But, um, you know, from there, you know, the Lord grew me up. And you know what happens when you're a kid, you know, there's not much, you know, you don't have much of a plan in life. But as I got to uh, junior high, you know, I felt the Lord wanted me to preach. And you know, I took whatever opportunities I could, whether it be in school, nursing homes, bus route, rescue mission, you, you name it, you know, all, all of it, street preaching. And I took whatever opportunities I could. And I praise the Lord for uh, the men in our church that took me under their arm in a way and helped grow me and helped lead me into um, serving the Lord in that way. And then in high school, uh, a missionary of our church came and he was from Mexico and preached. And I felt that the Lord wanted me to go to the mission field, but I didn't know exactly where, but I surrendered to go. And so here we have kind of a progression, you know, obviously, you know, it starts with salvation, starts with growing in the Lord. Then you've got, you know, surrender to preach, you know, and serve the Lord. Then you got surrender to the mission field, but we don't know where. And then in my first year of Bible college in our missions conference, I really felt the Lord working in my heart about going to Nepal. And people ask, you know, where does Nepal come from? And and I really don't have a crazy story. In fact, one time at a uh, church I was presenting at, you know, I, my wife always gives me a hard time because nobody gets my humor and my joke. But I told them that, you know, I fell off my bed one day and I had a vision that, you know, I was supposed to go to Nepal and nobody laughed. You know, they didn't they didn't get that it was a joke at all. But, you know, I don't right. have a crazy story. I really don't. I started researching these places and seeing where there was a need 
and where the Lord could use me. And when I read about Nepal, before I had read about the mountains, I had seen it as kind of a tourist destination like a lot of people do. But when I read some of the statistics about uh, Hinduism and you know Christianity and just, again, just the numbers even, the Lord used that to work in my heart. And I kind of look back at the story of Nehemiah. And his inquiry into the situation back in Jerusalem mm-hmm. and how you know he asked these questions, he inquired, and then the Lord used that information to work in his heart and give him a mission in what he did. And that's that's how the Lord led us to Nepal. And it's been something that stuck. And I won't say it's been easy. You know, it never is, you know, getting into the ministry and serving the Lord in these ways. Sure. But you know, but the Lord led us here and it is definitely the place where the Lord wants us and where there is a great need as well. Awesome. I, I love that. And I'm not trying to make a spiritual application out of everything, but you were looking, you were on the, you were scouting for where God wanted you. What it, it, you know, there are some folks and as God can work in different ways, but you know, it hits them side the head out of the blue with, with something, but you were actively patrolling for exactly where God had wanted you. And he just kind of, kind of led you. I, I love that. Now your dad, interesting story in and of himself. And I actually, the route to having you on is I emailed your dad. Of course, he's with Lighthouse Legal, um, and, and we, we get to go to some of their seminars and things here in the Akron. Um, they're in Ashtabula, I believe, Ohio. Right. We're um, uh, I live in Akron, Ohio, and so it's not that far up there. And so I asked him if he would come on, and I wanted to talk, you know, church legalese and things like that. And uh, he mentioned that you had the podcast, and he said he was interested, but um, but to have you on as well. And so I was like, you were on my radar. I think. Yeah, I have a list of a hundred or so names and you were on there, but I figured I'd move you up and uh, send you an invite ASAP. And so that, that worked out, but your dad's story uh, was his uh, military career and things like that. You don't have to get too deep into that. We, again, we can cover that with him, but how much of an impression on you did that have it or, or what kind of molded you into a part a go-getter, you know, someone that's looking for actively seeking God's will. Can you talk about that? Wow. Well, I guess when you look back at the influences that I've had in my life, you know, you look at my father and, you know, really, I think the word hero is overused, but he's definitely been an amazing role model. And, you know, definitely someone I look up to, a a person that showed me, you know, that God is real and, you know, the Christian life is a real life that's not just to be lived at church, but in the home and just he and my mother are just amazing. And yeah, I do think that his willingness to follow the Lord to the other side of the country, to take steps and be in places where you know most people would not go with a family, you know, that he already had back to Bible college to go ahead and, you know, or back to college to go ahead and get his his law degree and follow what he believed to be the Lord's will, leading him into legal ministry. And then I think that these things definitely uh affected me as a young person, not necessarily in that he was saying, You need to do this, this is how you should do it, that sort of thing. But knowing that, you know, my father was someone who put the Lord's will first. And not, you know, ease and, you know, comfort for the family. But also my father being military in general, I think that a lot of the guys that come out of the military are just men of character. And I think that's something that gets kind of drilled into him. And my pastor, you know, my pastor, Brother Mm -hmm. Gomez, he and my father and a lot of the men that I've been surrounded by are just I think men of character is the word that describes it. You know, people that are not going to be stopped by anything, that are going to do what's right, even when it's difficult, even when no one's looking. Absolutely. Now, and, and you have, um, I wouldn't, it would be fair to call Nepal a third world country by most, uh, is, is that, is that a fair 
um, it, it really is. Yes. If you look okay. at a lot of the um, lists that they make of, I think the technical term nowadays is least developed country. I okay. think that's the the nice word, but no. Sure. Um, I think that they end up pretty pretty much in the top in the bottom five, bottom ten every year of all the countries in the world. So it is. Wow. It is pretty undeveloped. Yes. Sure. So, and I've seen pictures and obviously on your website, um, which is just for people that might want to look it up. Is it NepalForChrist.com? Is that right? Yes. Okay. Um, so N E P A L for Christ.com. You can see some more information. Um, but it does having like, does everybody have a motorcycle there? Or is that like all, all Americans have cars? To, to, you, know, you know what I'm saying? But does that make, does that make you a rich person there? I'm just trying just for, for, to relate it to people here in America. Yes, everyone has a motorcycle here, and that's the first vehicle that everyone gets. It's kind of funny when you take your U.S. license over there, and some people you don't you don't end up getting an international license. I have my local motorcycle license, okay. but a lot of people, you know, just come over with their car license and they'll show it to a police officer if they have the need to or whatever. Right. But the police officers will just assume that if you have a license, it's a motorcycle license, okay? Because that's what everything is here in the U.S. and here it's the opposite you get the motorcycle license and the extra class is for the car and okay. the us it's, you get the vehicle license and the extra classes are for motorcycle and other things that you can add on here but yes the main vehicle that everyone uses here is a motorcycle and that's our primary vehicle we actually have an old um jeep it's a 1991 uh, mitsubishi pajero but it has literally been in the shop for the last three and a half months and it's just it's a nightmare trying to get parts here because okay. and we could talk about economics of Nepal in right. general. But the way that this place is situated in the the government, there are a number of things that make it make it a very unusual economy. Right. I had the opportunity uh, while I was in college at Golden State Baptist College to intern at a church in Alameda, California, in the basically the nice part of Oakland. Um, and uh, there is a large there is a large Nepalese contingent. In that area, obviously, it's the it's the San Francisco Bay Area, and it's a melting pot. But um, and so the church I was at was probably fifty uh, fifty Nepalese, and then wow. a lot of Hispanic folks, and uh, you know, I guess Caucasian, white, whatever, um, as well. Um, but fifty percent, which means the the lunches, the the potlucks were always fantastic. Uh, my my mom is a half is a half Korean, and so I developed a taste for the Asian uh, or 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 Far East uh, flair uh, a long time ago, but um, in incredibly nice people. Um, I'm, I was talking about to, actually to my mom earlier today, and she reminded me that, that they can be to American sensibilities somewhat abrupt, maybe uh, very direct. Do you find that to be the case, or or are they more reserved in, in your area, or or how is that? We actually find it to be the opposite. You know, okay. a lot of people will kind of say what they think you want. Uh, to okay. hear okay. as opposed to, you know, reality. And, and that's kind of, you'll go out visiting and you'll sure. like people to church. Oh yeah, I'll be there. You know, and I know you gotcha. have that happen in the U S but right. I mean, it's almost like nobody will tell you no, okay. but yet nobody will actually be there. And so it, it's, it's kind of the opposite and it does okay. take a little getting used to. Sure. Sure. And now you were on deputation. How long were you on deputation preparing for the field? I think it took us about three years, and okay. we had a really unusual situation kind of happen in the midst of that. Uh, my wife had some very serious health issues and really laid her up where she was in bed and you know for months and could not get you know, just some very serious things in the midst of that. And 
kind of threw us for a loop to say the least. But, you know, the Lord eventually led us to Nepal. But in the midst of that, it's kind of funny with you and your project and what you're doing here. Mm-hmm. You know, while my wife was laid up, staying with some, uh, a family member, an aunt who is a nurse at that time, trying to help her and figure out what the problem was. We went to, I think, 16 different doctors over the course wow. of uh, those months before we ended up leaving for the field. And no one had any idea what it was. Some people said, you know, hey, it's in your head. Other people could, you know, thought it was MS. Others just, you know, general autoimmune disease, but nobody could give us something that we could actually do anything with. And in the end, you know, the Lord led us to the mission field because, you know, we could be sick and, you know, doing what we're doing here in, in the U.S. or on the mission field. And my wife, she is, she is amazing. But while we were in Nepal, the Lord led us to a doctor actually in the Chicagoland area who was able to do some tests from abroad and was able to diagnose and go ahead and work some things out. And it wasn't one specific issue. It was several different autoimmune issues having to do with, you know, the gut having to, you know, a number of different things, but um, ended up being able to get her back to where she is now, which is amazing over the course of about two years of dietary changes, supplements, medication, uh, a number of different things. But all that happened on the mission field after we had come here already. And again, it's just amazing how the Lord brought us together with that person and ended up first getting us to our place of service. But going back again, when she had gotten sick, I'm sitting around the house going nuts, you know, for lack of a better term, you know, taking care of her, making sure things are you know, going well, but not able to travel like I was before. And, and I ended up starting a podcast myself and it was something that kind of developed. It was obviously not as spiritually minded as yours here, but, um, I started a podcast about firearms and we cool. cover topics like reloading, uh, competition, uh, self-defense. It was called the personal armament podcast. And over the course of the year to year and a half that I had, uh, done that, you know, the Lord really grew it. And we had some amazing people on big names in the firearm industry. And kind of like you, I had the opportunity to talk to a lot of people that I would not have otherwise. You got to travel to some trade shows and in the end ended up getting sponsorship uh, for the show, you know, ended up being like $600 a week worth of sponsorship in in the program and and the Lord really blessed. But of course, when you move to Nepal and you know how it is just with this one interview, trying to line up the time zones and work out the internet connection, it just would not transfer over. Not to mention doing a firearms podcast from a you know a country like Nepal where firearms are illegal and right. you know, it's it's something that makes people very uncomfortable. So it just it died along the way. But it was something that kind of helped carry me over and and it was a blessing to uh, me and my family during that time. Sure. And it's amazing how God just kind of has those things um, in the way and and not referring to to your wife's thing as a a bump in the road, um, but but just some different things that, you know, that did my wife a bump in the road. Yeah, exactly. You can tell her we will clip. I I take the little clips out of these things. and I'll I'll take a clip of that. and You can you can tell her I said that. Um, But that's awesome how you're going a little stir crazy with some different things and just the, you know, an outlet. Sometimes you just need that to, to pour yourself into. So what are some of the other hobbies that you are able to, um, again, reading the fun facts of Rob Robito reads like a a Chuck Norris novel or something like that. Um, but what are some other hobbies that, that you are, are able to partake in? You mentioned, uh, in their reading a lot. What are some other things? 
Well, I've always tried to take and see whatever situation the Lord puts me in, what are some of the things that are unique to that situation that I can enjoy and appreciate and you know get something out of that maybe others might not be able to or if I was in another situation, I might not be able to. Mm-hmm. And you know, in this situation with the with the health problems that my wife had had, I was confined in one area. So I ended up doing a lot of shooting and reloading and I was able to talk to others about it. Come to Nepal. And I had never ridden a mountain bike before. I won't say never in my life, but it was not something that I had done. I never had my own bike, mountain bike that I did anything with. But when I came here several years after we arrived, uh, my wife got me a mountain bike. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. It was a size extra large. And I was like, oh, I can fit my leg over this thing and it works. And, you know, with our hills around here, we just have tons of trails because people walk everywhere. And so there are these walking trails and they're actually quite technical. I mean, very narrow trails. If you look at some of the stuff on the edges of um, rice fields and whatnot, you know, a lot of it's even steps up and down and different things. But I just started riding these trails and I really, I really enjoyed it. And I got into it and I ended up, um, I've ended up being able to ride in different races around Nepal in different areas, even out in the the big mountains outside of the valley. But it it turned into something that really was a blessing. But even more than that, there's a small village that's just about a a mile or or less from here. It's called Sano Kokona. And it was through my mountain biking and going through this village, basically on the way home every time after I go riding, that the Lord laid it on our hearts to start a church in this little valley here, in this little village. And it was through riding through there and talking to people, giving out tracks, you know, and, and all these different things that I was able to start having a Bible study with one of the men in that area and, you know, some of the cattle, uh, cattle shelters that are out there. And then eventually, you know, use that as the place where we planted the church and started meeting. And it was through this opportunity, you know, through this, you know, fun thing that the Lord had given me here in Nepal, that he opened the door for us to start a church and know the people in that area. But that's how it always has been. We talked about the podcast before. And when we came to Nepal, Nepal is a closed country. There are no missionary visas. You don't, it's very difficult to find a way to stay here long term. Mm -hmm. And the Lord is really blessed. But we came in here, first of all, on a tourist visa, student visa. But that doesn't work long term. And the Lord brought us very quickly onto a journalism visa and used the contacts and the previous work that I had done with the podcast to get that journalism visa, that we were able to use that journalism visa, which is much cheaper than any other type of visa here, actually, the business visas and student visas, tourist visas, all that, and keep us here for three years straight, which, again, it is practically unheard of being able to stay in the country that long without having to make visa runs out to you know to other countries and whatnot. But the Lord has just taken each of these unusual circumstances and worked it into something that's helped us and moved us forward in ministry as well. Sure. Is there a way – because I think we're on something here that, that's interesting. So, so many times I feel like – I do this too. We take the secular – and we take the spiritual and we act like they are for the Christian. They're two separate things. This is my hobby. This is my spiritual ministry and never the twain shall meet. Um, and a lot of it's because we come in and dressed up on Sundays and act like good Christians. The rest of the week we live like hellions sometimes, but can you kind of lead through the talking to someone and maybe young people that 
have a passion, have something that that they're interested in, an outlet. Maybe it's not. Maybe they realize it's not something that I'm going to do the rest of my life. But talk to them even more. Rubber meets the road on how that can be something that helps you, not hinders you later on in ministry. It's a, it's a it's a fair point, a very important one. I actually talked to a man just a few. I think it was two weeks ago. We went and met a man here, a friend of a friend, and I went down to, to witness to him, and, and he he claimed to be a believer. Mm-hmm. He had a salvation testimony, and he had worked at a point you know, in the past with a ministry here doing uh, basically social media work for a translation company. Uh, ministry or something here in Nepal, not, not what we would normally you know, associate with or anything. But um, then I talked to him about what he's doing now. And he says, well, you know, I, I really like that. And I like the Bible and I like, you know, spiritual things, but I, we really need, you know, more than that. We need, and I, you always get worried when people say more than the Bible, right. he says more than that, you know, we need, we need some practical teaching. And he said, now I'm focusing on going into these schools and giving motivational speeches about, you know, working hard and, you know, talking about these practical aspects of life. And, you know, I sat there and I talked to her for a minute and I didn't want to argue with him, whatever, but I, but I sat there and I, and I told him, you know, the reality is, though, if we believe the Bible, we're going to live the Bible. Right. And what we believe should affect our lives. Otherwise, really, you don't believe it. Mm-hmm. And that's a problem with people the world over, not just young people, uh, not just people in the U.S., but, you know, taking God's word and what we say we believe, what we've learned and applying it in our lives, because what you believe about something will affect what you do with right. it. I was talking to a young man yesterday and, you know, most of my discipleship lessons are early in the morning. In fact, this six o'clock you know, hour that I'm at six o'clock here at what, seven fifteen in the evening. Yes. Um, is about the time when I get waxed and eloquent anyways in our discipleship lessons over here. But uh, I was talking to this young man the other day about prayer. And I said, you know, when you understand the power of something, when you actually believe it, you're going to treat it differently than something you don't believe. And, and I was talking about how a little child, if you give a little child, you know, a piece of money, you know, that little child, he'll maybe stick it in his mouth, <laughs> maybe tear it up, do something with it. Who knows? You know, my my son, he he was telling me the other day he wanted to go buy some saran wrap. And I'm just like, saran wrap? What? I, I don't know. They do weird things with their money is my point. But I think that's partly because they don't understand the value of money. And I don't want to overemphasize the value of money and, and you know, say money is everything. But what, I'm, what I am saying is that when you understand the value of money, you're not going to eat it. Right. You're not going to tear it right. up. You're not going to throw it in the fire. Right. And as these children get older, you know, they end up treating it differently. They'll save their money. They'll mm-hmm. say, oh, this money could buy me some candy at one point. Or maybe they'll say, you know, this money can be put in toward, towards my retirement and, and grow. And, and it'll, they'll treat the money differently. And I understand when a new Christian looks at prayer and they say, okay, Give it a give it a nod. I'll, I'll pray before I eat. I'll go ahead and you know pray you know for a few minutes here and there. If I have a real big problem, I, I understand that because they don't understand maybe yet the value of prayer. They don't understand the power of prayer. But what I don't understand is a Christian who's been in church who has heard pastors and preachers preach about the power of prayer and yet. They still do the same thing. They right. sp- still spend their five minutes in prayer in the morning. They still spend their, you know, they only go to God when they have troubles in their lives. But when you understand the power of prayer, it's going to be something that you're going to go to and not just for a show, but mm-hmm. go to on a regular basis as a serious thing. It'll be the first place you turn. And I, and I say, when you understand the power of prayer, everything will drive you to prayer. 
everything. Right. I mean, you should be scrolling through the Facebook feed and, oh my, sit down. And that should drive you to your knees and take you to prayer. You know, you, you're talking to a friend on the phone, you know, you should be taking that person to the Lord in prayer on mm-hmm. the phone. You're meeting with somebody and you hear about a problem, take it to the Lord. And when you understand, you know, the power of the scriptures, you're going to be able to apply it in so many different ways. When you see, uh, what it, now, I do believe that application of scriptures is a spiritual discipline also. So once you start applying it and you practice applying it, it's going to be easier and easier to see those areas where maybe there was something inconsistent where it needs to be applied. Maybe there is, oh, that verse that I read this morning applies over here as well. But again, it really comes down to believing what you're reading. And if you do right. believe it, you're going to apply it. Right. I, I was preaching a chapel in our Christian school this morning and uh, made the point. Um, it was just one of those extemporaneous things that, that came to mind. It wasn't in my notes. Um, we were talking about the priesthood of the believer for just a moment. And, it, you know, it seemed like a lofty concept for these four and five, you know, seven or eight year olds and all that. And we had some teenagers, of course, in there. Um, but I was thinking and it was convicting for me. Unlike the, the Catholics who believe they need to go through a priest or an intermediary, you know, or even even through Mary, of course, um, they have to go to confessional uh, for repentance and all those th- types of things. I was thinking how sad it is that some Catholics are more faithful to go to a priest than we are when we have the ability to walk into his throne room of grace. How sad is that? We can we have direct access. We, we believe that or so we say we have direct access. And we use that. It's it's like having. And I, I'm not I'm not being uh, um, uh, crass with it, but you know, having the bat phone there and not using it. It's right there. It's 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 immediately available. And there are people that will get in their car, drive to mass, sit in mass, go to confessional, and do all of that rigmarole to talk to talk to God. And, and that that just seems so odd to me that that we don't. And, and again, convicting because it, it's it seems so easy, and yet we don't do it so often. And I don't know, obviously so much prayer goes into being on the mission field. It's, it seems kind of obvious that you would need to, uh, what are some of the biggest, obviously mentioning your wife, what are some of the biggest, uh, prayer requests, uh, or, or I should say praises, answers of prayer that you've seen that it's obviously just God. Man, just in the last few weeks, I've seen some amazing answers to prayer, and I would encourage anyone uh, that wants to follow our ministry to get on our prayer letter mailing list, and that mm-hmm. is on our website. Just drop in your email there. I normally send out updates every two weeks, and you know sometimes I worry about over-bombarding people. I think I've actually sent six so far this year, and we're at awesome. – so that's about, about every two weeks, but um, – yeah, you know, we get them out there pretty often and let people know the things that are needing prayer, but also the answers to prayer. Mm-hmm. And this last, these last few weeks, we have been working on getting our visas uh, for the next five years. And I put in an application and without getting into the details of it, it was a very interesting conversation with a very hostile person who was making this decision. And I went away and it kind of ended okay, but he was very anti-Christian. I mean, just from the beginning and literally trying to prod and trying to get me to say something that would allow him to say no, essentially right. in this interview. And in the end, the Lord granted those visas and it ended Man. up being nothing extra that I had to do. Literally, I had to wait and that's all. But in the end, they called me and said, hey, come on down. Everything's approved. And about 30 minutes later, after paying the paying the money, I walked out with the paperwork in hand. Now, there are still many steps that I had to go through, but that was just a huge thing to me. You know, In my mind, when I left his office, 
that visa wasn't going to happen. I was going to have sure. to find another way to to be able to stay in the country here. Right. But the Lord worked that out, and I directly attributed that to the power of prayer and you know keeping that before the Lord, the people that were praying for us. There is no other, you know, nothing else that I can lay that, you know, at the feet of, for lack of a better term. Uh, then again, there is another. I said there's many steps, you know, in that same vein. Sure. We have to show. Uh, $9,000 in a bank account for them to approve us for this next year to kind of show that we have expenses. We're not going to be working in the country, that sort of thing. And I had showed that originally for the first application, but I had to take some of the money out to pay for that registration, whatever, and complicated situation, how they don't allow you to put U.S. dollars our Nepalese rupees into a U.S. dollar account, but they require us to show all of our money in U.S. dollars. Anyways, it, it worked out. We didn't have the money in hand, and the Lord quickly worked out for us to be able to put that money in the account, the right account, and worked out the details that were, frankly, out of my hands and out of my control at that point. Just amazing. But there have been some situations here. Uh, there, was, there was a man this last week that made a profession of faith that we've been praying for for a year and a half. Amen. And not in not an invitation, not in even a regular service, but in a prayer meeting, our men's prayer meeting on Friday nights, he made his profession of faith there. Just it was, it was just an answer to prayer, just amazing. And again, it, it's such a precious thing when you understand that he's the only one in his family, the only one in his community. Hmm. even that is a believer now and you know pray for his growth going back and looking at one of the biggest things on the mission field that i thought was just a crazy insurmountable problem uh was when my son caleb was born um he was born here in our home in nepal and we went to go get his um birth certificate later and I went to the wrong office and got a birth certificate from the wrong office. They actually issued it. And the U.S. Embassy said, you know, no, no, we can't use this. You have to go to the different office. Well, I took it down there and showed him, you know, hey, we got this wrong one. We need this new one. And he he thought that I was trying to get – basically do something underhanded. Sure. And he ended up, you know, he's like, I need to have, you know, this bribe here, you know, 500 bucks. You, you pay me and I'll go ahead and get this for you, this, that, and the other. And anyways, in that – in that situation, he ended up, you know, hitting me and what it's just crazy situation. But he got so mad, he swore that he would make sure that I never got a birth certificate for my son. Hmm. And I would get stuck in Nepal, not be able to leave. He told a bunch of the local um other officials in this area, and it took about a year before we were able to get a birth certificate. And this man moved out of this position and whatever. The Lord worked it out. But in that situation where not only was this man angry and not willing to go ahead and give the birth certificate, but making sure that he actively was like out lobbying other people to make sure that I was not able to get a birth certificate for my son. And we're in the country here for a year before, uh, you know, with no, no visa for our son, you know, it just crazy situation. But the Lord worked it out in a situation where I had absolutely no control. Sure. And those are the ones where it's where it's the most powerful and it, it impacts me the most are the situations where you are genuinely brought to the point where you realize that there is nothing you can do. And then the Lord works on your behalf. Those are the ones that are the most powerful. And I could tell you stories all day long, but he does work. And, and I do see the power of prayer. And because of that, I put the time in and right. I do talk to the Lord about the most important things. And I keep those things before the Lord. Sure. You know, you hear the saying cliche, um, though it's true, uh, you know, work like it all depends on you and pray like it all depends on God. But to your point, 
what happens when none of it depends on you? Like you have no say whatsoever. You just got to pray because it all depends on him. That's awesome. What are my favorite verses in Proverbs uh, 2031? You know, the horse is prepared against the day of mm-hmm. battle, but safety mm-hmm. is of the Lord. Right. And, and I really love that verse because to me, and I know there's a lot of different ways you can apply it, but it's like you put in the work, but the outcome is up to the mm-hmm. Lord. And that applies in so many areas of life. You know, you put in the door, you put in the, the work knocking on doors, you put in the work sharing the gospel, mm-hmm. but you don't know if that person's going to get saved. You don't know if that person is going to be added to the church. You don't know what that outcome is going to be, but you put in that work and the Lord is the one who decides in the end. Go ahead. Now, Sorry, what, I didn't mean to No, 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 you're fine. What does a gospel presentation or, or, or how does in there, you know, the, America, we think knocking on doors, you know, literature, um, all those different types of things, and they're all great. What do, in Nepal, what does it look like from the time besides, besides the riding your bike through a town and just being seen all the time passing on tracks? What does uh, getting the gospel to someone look like there? Wow. It, we have – the gospel is the gospel around the world. There really sure. is. But – and we have tracks. We have things I – mean, like I've written a couple of tracks over here, some small, some larger, different topics, you know, different areas. But the gospel is the gospel no matter where it is. But what we mm-hmm. want to do is make sure that it's understood, make right. sure that it's clear to them. And that can be hard. It really can. And I don't want to stop anyone from getting saved. We'll give them all the information. But – you know, I've seen a lot of people over here that have made professions of faith, that have fallen away, that didn't understand what they were doing. And, and I try to be very, very careful with this. We want to see people that, you know, are not given a false hope right. you know, and saying, oh, good job, you're saved. And so, you know, normally it and we start out with going through the gospel with them and it takes you know half an hour, an hour, depending on the question they have. And. I have never had someone who has accepted Christ at that exact moment. Hmm. I have not here in Nepal, but we have most of the time at that point, if they're interested, we'll schedule and meet with them for about six weeks. And I have a set of salvation lessons that I've laid out and it starts out talking about the word of God. Why is God's word important? Why is it the foundation? I and mean, it's hard to go and teach God's word without them understanding what God's word are, what's God, what God's word is. And we continue from there about what is sin, punishment for sin. What are the Bible terms that are used for, you know, the person who is sinner, condemned, unrighteous, you know, all these different terms. And we go through these and we come down in the end to, um, you know, the final salvation lesson where what do they have to do? You know, what, what to the end, it explains things very well. And I have some things that are, um, I don't know if you want to use the word contextualized. I think that's overused, mm-hmm. but some things that apply to making sure that there's clarity when it comes to Jesus versus other gods, Jesus versus, you know, work salvation, or, you know, these other things that, uh, that a lot of people are coming, you know, a prosperity gospel is something we address. You know, you're not coming to God just, you know, so that he'll give, make you rich, which oftentimes you don't have to say that as a missionary, mm-hmm. but people will still believe that and sure. they'll still come. And, you know, it, it is, I think that the main difference really is making clear some of these areas that are especially confusing because of their uh, culture and background and what they have seen in other churches or other Christians in the area. What What are the main, you know, Hinduism, biggest religion in the area. Is that correct? If I it is. In fact, right outside my window here, uh, you haven't heard it yet this morning, but uh, there's a temple. I mean, like 
right down outside. I can look down on the temple outside my office window here where I sit here and pray. And people come in there and they ring the bell and they sit down there and they chant and they leave their incense and they'll bring little plates of money and seeds and food and set them out there in front of these idols. And they're everywhere. I mean, you walk mm-hmm. 50 feet down the down the street in the other direction, 50 yards more like, but take 50 yards down the other direction. There's one in the corner going right. I mean, just they're everywhere. And Hinduism is I think they say 90%, 92%, something like that, uh, of the population here in Nepal. Now, so what's a big sticking point besides, obviously, language barrier, just understanding in general? Um, but what is the big sticking point, Hinduism, from someone that is interested? Where do you find the friction points between that and the gospel? Leaving other gods. Okay. Uh, the easy thing to do for them would be to add Jesus to their right gods you know it's no problem for them to worship one god for this and one god for that and another god for this issue and they had a health problem and somebody else told them oh you need to talk to this god Hmm. and you know they a lot of people here they'll worship especially the idol that they live nearest to and Hmm. you know you'll talk to people and be like i've never heard of this jesus i I know this one god here it's right near my house and that's the one i worship but there are millions of gods little g Mm -hmm. you know gods that are worship here in nepal some of them are idols others of them are um i don't know weather and animals and you know just all anything and everything really it's pantheism and you know the hardest part for them often is laying aside those other gods and beyond that the other difficulty is the um laying stepping away from family that will harass them and give them trouble i mean there is true persecution here not you know, I, I don't know if people dying, you know, in the Coliseums or anything like that, but there's true persecution as far as people that are, you know, not given power, not given, you know, jobs or, you know, not being sold food because they have become Christians. And it's a very common thing, even in the big city here. It's easier for them in the big city because they can go somewhere else and buy food or get, you know, their needs met elsewhere. But especially when you get out into the more rural areas, it becomes a very like basically if you get saved and your community turns against you you almost have to move away hmm. well so what are and i don't mean for this to become a a, a pulpit or anything we're having a conversation but what are some things from the you've taken the 7500 mile you know trek for, for the big picture looking back towards america and, and a lot of folks you know um and just american christianity in general what are some things that I'll preface it with a personal anecdote. We got to live in Germany for four years with my dad being in the military. And when we got back, my mom, I don't mean to tell mom, she's probably watching right now, but she would got so frustrated with the way Americans drive because on the Autobahn, it is illegal to drive on the, in the left-hand lane, unless you're passing someone get, get out of the way. So I say that, and that that's the, you know, just a fun, you know, just whatever. Spiritually speaking, I don't mean to over-spiritualize all, but what are some things that you, some brain processes that you wish American Christians could come step in your shoes for just a week and be like, oh, that might help me, might help Christians in my church be like, wow, it, it it's a whole nother world. Wow. And it's an interesting question. First of all, I'll say it's not driving. Okay. Because driving over here is just insanity. <laughs> and and I love I love being able to ride a motorcycle ever. It is it is fun. My wife, not so much. <laughs> sure. But uh but riding driving in, in the US is just like 
driving in the U.S. is relaxing, right? right compared right. to here, you know, you are just on constant alert. You get home and you're stressed out because if somebody jumps out in the road in front of you, and they are constantly, whether it be dogs, people on bicycles, vegetable cart people, people walking across, you know, anywhere and everywhere, you know, it's your fault if you don't stop. And it doesn't matter if there's a crosswalk or not. But moving away from that, not not that. I also want to say that the problems that one society has doesn't make it lesser than another. You know, you look sure. at I think there are some things stepping out of the US and being out of the US for so long that we have kind of had drop away mm-hmm. and see as things that are were just a distraction. Mm-hmm. And kind of pull us away from uh, the work of the ministry and the work of the church. But yet that doesn't mean that Nepal is better right. or the Nepal church. Because I do sometimes hear in missionaries, you know, these people over here, they're so spiritual. They gave up everything. They walk five miles each way to church and, right. you know, they pray six hours a day. And no, it's not that, you know, each culture has their own problems. And ministering here in Nepal, Nepali Christians uh, have their own set of problems, but you're asking about the U S and I'm sure. going to offer, you know, a simple criticism. And, and that is the distractions that the U S has and the things that are often taken as important that are not. And looking back just from where we're recording this, I think it's been what a week and a half ago now that in the last you know week and a half, two weeks, we've had both the super bowl and the state of the union. Mm-hmm. And just like the things that flood Facebook that get people so worked up and excited. And, you know, both of those things are my pet peeves about, you know, things that people get so excited about that don't really have that much of a bearing, you know, on the cause of Christ. And I don't get me started in politics and whatnot. But what what gets me worked up is not necessarily the politics themselves, but how right. excitable Christians are about this versus the things of God right. and, you know, truly, you know, our impact for the, the kingdom of Christ and the things of God is not going to be through posting on Facebook about, you know, these different issues. It's going to be about yeah. reaching people because when right. you reach people, that's what changes. You know, I always say politics is downstream of culture and people. Right. And when you, when you reach people, it's going to change a nation. And when you change the nation, it's going to change the leaders. Right. And when you change the leaders, you can have different laws and right. it may take 50, hundred years and it may not even be something that eventually happens, but we're called to reach people. Right. Anyways, that's all I'm going to say about politics. Sure. The other is sports. You know, it just, I, I used to be a very big college football fan, um, and since I moved over here, kind of the Lord has stripped that away from me, not really painfully or anything, just it's kind of hard to follow it. And right. I just lost interest in it. And I haven't watched a sports game in forever. You know, it, it's just right. been, and I think that, you know, now, not that I'm like more spiritual than someone else because I don't get worked up about politics or because I don't care about sports, but the Lord has kind of taken those things away from us and put us in a situation where we're, we're separated in a way from some of those things. And it's easier to look at the U S now and say, wow, why are they getting so worked up about these things? Don't they have something better to do? Sure. And this, this was not, I was, it was not a leading question. You you had liberty to go wherever you wanted. Um, And I, uh, I try to keep my editorials to a minimum, uh, but this, is, this has been something that, that is, I think we're kindred spirits on this point, though. Do I enjoy sports? Absolutely, I do. Um, but I feel like so many times it's, you know, because, because one of your main outlets to see into you know America is through social media, talking about people's Facebook feeds being flooded with things. One of the things that it gets to me sometimes is is so many of my friends and people I look up to even and a lot of folks that seem to have subscriptions to the outrage of the month club if you know what I'm talking about um, right. and, and I could I could really care less who I, who I annoy with this one but for 
uh, September of last year, it was people kneeling for the national anthem. But somehow I, I haven't seen a post about that recently. But it was like the thing. I mean, you would have thought that we, you know, you know. Anyway, um, so we we get all worked up, and and now the outrage. And, and I don't mean to belittle it whatsoever, but outrage of the month for last month was abortion. And and, and understand, we should be outraged about it. And I don't have a problem with that. But my question is, New York passing a law doesn't mean that fifty million something kids weren't killed before that where were you when it was going on you, you know you know what i'm saying it, it, it that, that mm-hmm. it doesn't make sense to me and part of me thinks Sally, that, it seems like it seems like that the outrage is being you or people are being used right. in their outrage by media outlets you can name mm-hmm. names whatever people individuals politicians you know if, if it suits them to get people worked up about a particular topic that is the outrage of the month right. whatever they can use you know whether it be the the, the sports people you know Right, whatever, right. You know, kneeling yeah. for the anthem or, or whatnot. But and some of these issues, again, are important issues, but mm-hmm. you need to maintain a balance in it. Right. You know, these things that are wrong yesterday are going to be wrong tomorrow as well. Right. And, right. you know, you don't just bounce around to whatever your favorite political commentary person tells you to you know, exactly. be outraged about this month. And I feel like there, it, that requires a sense of detachment to some degree, which you are kind of forcibly put into because of just by by virtue of internet connection and and geography um but But that is that is something that my dad my dad has taught me and even our preacher in different ways you know is really stepping back and making decisions not just about your emotions but about Mm -hmm. you know important decisions without being in the moment at that Mm -hmm. excuse me i swallowed something wrong but uh in that in that moment at the you know in the emotion of the moment and i I have some guys that work with me in some of our ministries here, and they'll bring me some ideas and some things, and they'll be great ideas. And I'll say, I'll tell you what, let me leave this with me, and I'll pray about this. And I'll do this, you know. And whether it be, you know, getting three bids on different things, or whether it be, you know, you know, these different. When you make decisions, you don't want to make them in that emotion, in that moment. There ought to be some right. time for prayer. There ought to be some time to consider, because rarely. I mean, extremely rarely will you ever have a decision that you cannot make tomorrow, that you cannot – and I'm not saying put off good things. If you know it's a good thing, do the right thing. Mm -hmm. But you know, I'll give an example. I really do not – I don't think most people nowadays are getting a ton of telemarketing calls. I don't know. So this is going to date me. But back when we first got married, we had someone call on the phone, and they said, you know, hey, we got this special deal on gas. You sign up for our gas service, and we can give you this discount. And you know, over the phone, I just said, hey, you know, really? This sounds like a good deal. I want to do this. And I'm like, oh, you got to do it today. You got to do it today. And I said, but I'm going to take some time. I'm going to research it and find out if this is legit. So I, I looked online, and you know, I called my dad and asked him, oh, yeah, these are some sorts of things. Different providers can provide gas. And so I had taken the guy's number, and I called him back the next day, and they said, well – Sorry, but you know, yesterday was the cutoff deadline for this thing, and you can't, you know, save your ten bucks a month, you know, on right. gas, whatever it was. And I really—that's the only example in my entire <laughs> life that I can think of that I had a decision to make. That I, I said, you know, I'm not going to make it in the moment. I'm going to consider right. these facts and, and get to it tomorrow. That I actually missed out on something right. in my entire life, and. Right. and I, I know that there are some decisions that you know yes right away. That's not right. what I'm talking about. Right. I'm talking about decisions that require consideration. And you know, I will say for most people, do not make that decision in the moment. Mm-hmm. Take a minute. You know, it really, you know, when your kid comes to you 
and wants to do something and you're not sure if it's the right thing, if you're not sure it's the right thing for your family, take a minute, think about it, ask someone else, you know, and you'll normally come back with a much better decision. Right. Now, what, what are some, and this is a question um, I used to do a, uh, call it a Missions Monday type thing with, with some of the missionaries from our church and, and different things. This was a question I, I always asked, and I think it's pertinent now, what, to a young person that feels either they're willing to do whatever God wants them to do, or that they, they have a bent towards missions. Um, maybe besides the obvious stuff, though, the obvious can't be overstated. What would be your advice that you, that you would pass along from someone that's feet on the ground, boots on the ground, um, to get them to where you are now? Wow. I'm going to say, first of all, Brother O'Malley just did an amazing job, and I really enjoyed the interview you had with him. And he's going to be you know, much more practiced and versed in what he would say to young people and whatnot. So I feel like this is almost just like asking me a question after you've already gotten him <laughs> on. But, but I will go back to the obvious stuff. And the reason I, I'll go back to the obvious stuff is because I don't think most people are doing sure. the obvious stuff. Yeah, you're right. You know, before you before you worry about where God wants you on the mission field and whether or not you need to learn to fly and what language you're going to learn and all these other specific aspects of training that are related to the mission field. Before you get to all that, you need to make sure that you have a strong prayer life. You need to make sure that you're separated and living holy. You need to make sure that you're reading your Bible every day and getting something out of it. You need to make sure that you have a testimony among the people that you're with right then of sharing the gospel. Because if you're not going to share the gospel in your community where you are right now, you're not going to do it on the mission field either. If you don't have the right testimony where you are right now, you're not going to do it on the mission field either. Same thing with Bible reading. Same thing with prayer. Same thing with giving. If you're not going to be giving right now— you know, where you are, you shouldn't, you know, you're not going to be giving later of yourself and your life on the mission field. And you got to come back to these basic things first. And honestly, they are overlooked. And when I look at some of these, I say candidates, some of these young people that are in Bible college nowadays, and, you know, they have a heart for the Lord. I really do believe they want to serve the Lord, but you got to get some of these basic things down. You know, you got to make sure that you have these things, because once you get on the mission field, you don't have the support network like you do in Bible college, being in chapel every single day. And there are certain things you can do. I mean, granted, you know, I listen to messages every single day. I love podcasts. Praise the Lord. And you know, I put these things in my mind to give myself the encouragement. But when you're alone on the mission field, you don't have the fellowship that you have, you know, being in a strong church. I mean, I come from an amazing, amazing, strong church people around me. You got to have that base. Now, beyond that. Now that I've said the obvious, and and I want that to be emphasized, it cannot be emphasized enough. Mm -hmm. Beyond that, uh, you want to go, if you don't know where God wants you, you know, specifically, if you know where God wants you specifically, you ought to start working on the language. You really should. I mean, that's kind of an obvious, an obvious thing. But you want to uh, learn and study and create opportunities. Do things that will open up doors for you later, whether that be um, a podcast whether that be uh, making contacts with pastors and people and missionaries in the country uh, that you think the Lord is calling you to, whether that be learning a specific skill, you know, whether it be medical skills, whether it be, um, you know, becoming a better preacher or teacher. Um, but th- there are a number of different general things that you can do that would apply anywhere. And I would, I would start with those basics, really, before you get specific. I know it's not exactly what you want to hear, but that's what no, I would say. No. No, I, I, I love that. And um, everyone who knows, 
you want to lose weight, you eat a little bit less and you exercise more. But if for some reason, if I wrote a book about it, you know, people would buy it because it was something new. We got to, we got to try that though. Actually, if I wrote a book, they probably would anyway, but it, it, I, I want, I want to kind of double back and we're, we're getting close to an hour. That doesn't bother me at all at all. But speaking of the practical stuff and just the obvious stuff, and, and you didn't know I was going to ask you this or anything, and it's probably not something that you would just, you know, broadcast out there, but your, your, your prayer life, practically speaking, what does that look like? Our, if you, if you wouldn't mind sharing our hours and times for somebody and, and speaking for, you know, someone that might want to be a missionary, they, they might not match you hour for hour right now. They're in, you know, with my Bible college and all this stuff, but give them something to look to, to say, Hey, he got his visa approved. He got birth certificate. He, God answers prayer. Practically speaking, what does it look like for you? Well, and, and it's a great question, really. And we struggle with this sometimes talking about things like prayer life because we don't want to be, you know, lifting ourselves up and over spiritual. Sure. And it's easier when you ask the question. It is. Sure. I have a book here from uh, Brother Van Horn. I don't know if you know, he, uh, he, he came and preached at a missions conference I was in last year. And he gave me a book about fasting and his, right. his book on fasting. He talks, he, and even, you know, in person, he was talking to me about how nobody talks about fasting anymore because they think mm-hmm. it's a secret. Now, yeah, we don't want people to, you know, see us as miserable and we're suffering and that sort of thing while we're fasting, but we do need to be passing on these things to the next generation. You know, how do you pray? How do you fast? How do you, you know, have that right relationship with God. And we don't need to be afraid to mention it. I preface all that. That being said, you know, my prayer life has not always been what it is now. So don't think that it's always been this way or anything. But I have a little corner in my office right here, practically speaking. I don't know if you can see my window seat over there. That is my, that is my prayer, my prayer place. That is where I get on my knees and I close my eyes and I sit there and it's kind of, it's, it is its own special place of prayer. And it kind of, I don't know if you want to say puts me in the mood. Maybe that's it. Maybe that, you know, sounds kind of odd, but you know, it puts me in that place where I am free of distraction. And sometimes I'll even just take a pair of headphones. You'll even see a pair of headphones sitting down there by it that don't have a wire in them. And I'll put them over my head and over my ears just so that I don't hear other things. That being said, my sons, my wife, they know that if they open the door and they see me on my knees and, you know, and pray, they don't bother me. And, and they're good about that. I have a six-year-old and an eight-year-old son, and they don't bother me when I'm praying. And that's, you know, that's amazing. But that being said, in the morning, I wake up first, read my Bible. I listen to audio Bible while I read my Bible. And I have a specific plan. Uh, I get through um, Psalms and Proverbs every 30 days, get through the New Testament every six days, Old Testament every year. And I've got it all on my phone, so that works out nicely, so I can read it and listen to it. After I finish with that, comes Bible time or prayer time. And I have um, I have prayer lists that are scribbled and scratched and, and everything else. But I have separate prayer lists. I have a prayer list for pastor friends. I have a prayer list for missionary friends. I even have my missionary friends divided up into different categories where they are in the world, you know, from our home church and different categories like that. And I've written beside them, you know, pray for Matt Gansmer and his search for a new uh, place for their church to meet. You know, it's something he had mentioned in his last letter. And, and I write down these things from their prayer letters that I want to pray for. Same thing with pastor friends. We have a pastor or a church of the week 
of our supporting churches that we email and let them know it's church of the week. And uh, they will often, not always, but email back and let us know something that uh, I asked them to, that they want us to pray for. Uh, this last week, Brother Edwards let us know that his daughter-in-law mm-hmm. is you know, going through some health issues and you know, praying specifically for her. And so, I mean, you've got that scratched in and added right next to that church. And you know, you've got all sorts of things added to us. And I've got lists. Lists are the way that you spend time in prayer without kind of wondering where you're going to go next. Uh, I have a list for myself things that I pray for, for myself, uh, for the Lord to use me in certain areas, for the Lord to develop me in certain areas. Um, and, and it's, it's as long a list as most of my other ones, you know, list of people and, and their needs, but areas where I want the Lord to work in me. And I have a list of people that I'm praying for to get saved. I have a list of people that, uh, are my family members that I'm praying for specifically my brothers and their kids and my parents and my in-laws and, you know, praying for them in specific areas. I have a long-term health issue where your wife is, you know, on that list. And I have, you know, a list of different people in, uh, in, in different ways that I pray for. I have a list, you know, of ministry needs specifically in our ministry here that we're praying for. Then to top it all off, you know, I have a list, uh, on a small, in a small book that has my top 10. And this is, this is what I think is just the most powerful thing. I don't know if this is the most powerful thing, but I I really think this has helped me a lot in prayer is I've got all these other lists and I pray through them and I get through them every other day. I get through all of them, but I have the top 10 and that gets prayed for three times every day. And, you know, in serious matters go right on that list. On the top of that list is, you know, my visa. And there are some things on that list that, that I don't want mentioned because there are serious things that are, you know, in my life, in my family's life, uh, people that might not want it advertised or whatnot. But, but those things are, are very special things, and those go on my top ten list that I hit in the morning. So, anyways, in the morning I get through these lists, and that's my main time. It'll end up being normally about thirty minutes in the morning. Then, uh, in the daytime, again, like I mentioned, when you're on Facebook, when you're talking to someone, someone emails you, someone asks you to pray, take it to the Lord in prayer right then go to the Lord, add that to your prayer list at that point and pray for it again over the next week or however long it takes. But then in the evening, I always take, uh, another, you know, 10 to 20 minutes uh, for prayer in the evening before I go to bed. And, and that's the time that I, I actually take that time, especially to make things right with the Lord before I go to bed. That's kind of, uh, a confession time, uh, for lack of a better term, where I search my search my heart and ask the Lord to show me things during the day, uh, sin, and I want to make that right before I go to bed, before I forget it, uh, before it hinders my relationship and my prayer life as well. But that's kind of like the big picture. Maybe it's more than you asked for, but that's kind no, of what my prayer life looks like. That, that's awesome. And um, I think a lot of times, like you said, it's this we treat it like the, it's this spooky thing, uh, like it's like it's something that um, you know it, it's my prayer life. You have your prayer life, and a lot of times that's because I don't have a prayer life, and I'm hoping no one else does either, so I don't feel so bad about it. And you know, it's one of those things where, like, if we if we was a little more free, um, then. It doesn't, and I, I understand it, it can be, it's very easy to become prideful about it. It can be, uh, and all of that. But I hope, I mean, I know that helped me, and that's why I'm talking to you, but I hope for somebody, and, I, and as I mentioned, I'll clip out some of these things, and I, I hope that somebody will listen to that and someone will say, hey, you know what? I don't have a prayer list. And I struggle with my prayer life. So maybe that'll help me out. Maybe they'll start with one list. Maybe they, you know, at some point they'll have, you know, a dozen or so lists of different things and, and that, that'll, that'll help them. Um, now, how many, 
how many years of a process has this been for you to kind of get down to something where you feel like this is my grind. This is what I do. It's never finished. Really. I'm always looking for ways, you know, what annoys me right now is how often I end up having to reprint my prayer lists. You know, I keep my lists in Evernote and I go ahead and I add the stuff in. And I was just talking to my wife yesterday. And if anyone listening to this, you know, has any ideas for me, let me know what I want is something that is synced to the cloud cross-platform. I can have it on my phone. I can have it on a tablet. I can have it on my desktop as a web app also because the easiest place, I'm a fast typer and I don't want to be hunting, pecking on on my phone. I, I despise trying to type things on my phone. But if I could have something, a web app where I could type in pro requests, keep my separate lists, keep them updated on the desktop or on a Chrome app or web app of some sort, and then be able to pull that, you know, tablet out when I pray and have those lists right there up to date, as opposed to right now, it just gets scribbled on until I can't read it anymore. And it looks bad enough. And then I had to come in, put it all in and reprint it again. You know, so, I mean, there are different things, but, you know, honestly, the Lord has, is just always moving me forward in the area of, in new areas to pray for people, Mm -hmm. new areas to handle it. This last, uh, two weeks ago, uh, the Lord really laid on my heart when I'm praying for people in these long-term health situations, specifically to reach out to them after two weeks, a month, you know, and get out. And I'm not, I'm not great at it. It's something I'm trying to do. But having been through something like that ourselves with my wife and her issues for multiple years, you and your family, you understand this. You get a lot of people that are excited about you know, what's going on, excited about praying for you, not excited about your illness, excited right. about praying for you and reaching out to you in the beginning. You'll get text messages. You'll get phone calls and emails and whatnot. But a couple of weeks into it, it's crickets. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't doubt that there are people that are still praying for you, mm-hmm. you know, that have you on, on their list. But it's nice to know. And it's nice to be able to hear from someone that says, hey. I remember you and and we are praying for you. And I say that as a missionary also, you're not just long-term health problems and and whatnot, but it is an amazing blessing to hear from someone that says, just an answer to prayer, you know, thanks for that. I'm praying for you. You don't understand how few people do that and what a blessing it is to be reminded that that person is praying for you. It's, It's a big deal. Amen. And I think it's a bigger deal when you understand the power of prayer too. But right, ahead, yeah. right, absolutely. And, and so many times you, you see um, uh, so many things you know, on Facebook, or whatever, and it's praying, praying, praying. You know, comments all the way down, praying for you. You know, hope all is well, all that. And then you know, it, it and uh, for our situation. God's been so good and so many people have, have done exactly that. And so that's a huge blessing, but I know for other people's circumstances, that's not always the case. They feel like two weeks in, they're all by themselves. And so I, I can, and speaking of being 7,500 miles away, you can feel like you're all by yourself sometimes. And I understand that. Um, yeah. What are some, uh, as we draw close to, to a close here, uh, what are some uh, final words or, or different, something you, you get off your chest maybe need to, um, uh, by way of, uh, of the internet, man, get off my chest by way of the internet. Man, that, <laughs> that, it's always a scary thing, but go ahead. No, I really, I really don't think I have anything to get off my chest. Something that, in fact, uh, last night I, I sat down and I prayed for, you know, the interview here this morning and, mm-hmm. and I'm excited about talking to people and hopefully give some, give some people something that, um, 
that will be a blessing and helped. And that was my prayer, you know, for this thing, not to lift myself up. I know you, you and my brother, they joke about, you know, the most interesting man in the world, all these crazy stories. And I do have some amazing stories. The Lord has done some amazing things in my life. And we could talk all day about just fun stuff and flying to Alaska and, you know, just crazy stuff. But um, really, when it comes down to it, I want to lift up the Lord. And, and I mm-hmm. hope that people will not seek to do, you know, as I do so that they have an interesting life, but will seek to serve the Lord and to do whatever he, he leads you to do. And don't get stuck on the interestingness of it either, sure. because most of the time serving the Lord is not fascinating, interesting, exciting, and that ought not to be what we seek. In fact, I see that often in missions where people are trying to, you know, are more concerned with, I know we talk about the contemporary Christian movement and, right, you know, right. I don't know, the new independent Baptists. I don't know if we're not allowed to talk about that on the, you know, so, but, you know, right. the people that are going after the, the methods more than the message. And I see that also in missions as well. And in some ways I see some, myself included, where I'd be more concerned about, you know, the radio ministry versus actually the gospel that's being shared in it and, you sure. know, just get it out however sure. you need to, whether it be an aviation ministry versus, doing whatever it takes to reach people and you don't get, don't get stuck on the exciting. Don't get stuck on the method. Don't get stuck on, you know, what seems to be interesting at the moment, you know, get stuck on God's will and being a servant and doing whatever needs. And if you're seeking to meet people's needs, the Lord is going to lead you into some amazing places and amazing opportunities and amazing places to serve. So just keep on, Keep on seeking to serve, I guess, would be the, the thing I've got to get off my chest. How's that? There you go. I love it. Now, again, and I, because I'm the one asked ask the questions here, I can ask this. Where are you at as far as support you'd like to have in case someone's watching and says, hey, you know what? We, need, we have missions conferences coming up and all that stuff. You didn't ask me to ask that. We didn't talk about that. But where are you at? Or you can just say, you know, I'm just flushed with cash. I'm the only missionary that needs no money whatsoever. Where are you at, brother? If you need money, just give me a call. No, um, <laughs> no, seriously, we are actually we are always embarking on new projects. And this year we have several specific goals. Uh, I, I just stepped out by faith last week or I'm sorry, yesterday. I mean, last last day and talked to a translator here. We're working out the details. Uh, we've got two books that we're getting translated this year. And one of them is a discipleship book uh, that I'm really excited about. Another is a children's uh, leading little children to God. It's, it's a wonderful uh, book that leads through concepts of the Bible who God is, what God does, and just very detailed, uh, a big book, but bigger projects this year. And it's going to cost us, you know, several thousand dollars to do the translation, let alone the printing of these things. And we're going to go ahead and expand our children's uh, education feeding ministry, which has been a huge blessing, allowing us to get into homes and share the gospel with a number of families in our community. And we're actually looking at trying to get 13 new supporting churches this year without going back to the U.S. That is our goal, to be able to set up a translation budget, to be able to expand uh, the ministry with our youth. And so that's what we're praying for. But here's the thing, and that is on my top 10 list of prayer prayer items. But the Lord has already given us three new supporting churches this year. In just January 1. Yes, since January 1, the Lord has given us three new supporting churches. You're on track, man. that's, that's, That's huge. We are. And, you know, so that's if you want to see more, just check out our website. We'll tell you more about what the Lord is doing here in Nepal, what the needs are and follow on our on our prayer letter mailing list. I mean, that's that if I could get people uh, praying for us, that would be the main thing I want. That's awesome, man. I'm, I'm so excited. And I hope if there are I've, I've some of the, the uh, numbers 
Twitter owns Periscope as their live streaming platform, and this is being broadcast on Facebook, YouTube, Periscope, all that, um, and Twitter. Um, and most of the pastor friends that I have watch on Twitter because I think that's their platform of choice, and it's cool to see some of the names on there. But if any of you, any of you pastor friends, watch this long, please consider um and uh he didn't mention you know he said 13 supporting churches i don't know what dollar figure you know he was at hoping for just make it 150 or 200 dollars or something uh, don't, don't go don't don't go low end don't go 25 bucks uh give, give him good support but um i appreciate brother rob i appreciate it thank you so much for taking the time starting your day off and uh, i apologize you have to start the day off seeing me um uh, but I, I i greatly appreciate you taking the time and i, I hope um, I, well, I hope that we can do this again sometime in the future um but I, i'm i'm so grateful for you you giving me your time and uh, as i've said in the past if if the viewer count is at zero it doesn't bother me whatsoever because i i've been helped and i appreciate it sir well, I've enjoyed it as well, Micah. Thanks for taking the time, and uh, I hope that whoever might listen to it does find something that would be a help to them. Amen. Well, if you stick around for just saying it, I'd like to talk to you for just one more moment after we sure. go off here, folks. Thanks so much for listening. Have some other um, very interesting and a cool, uh, or at least to me, if you don't find them, that's fine, interesting, that's fine. But some other interesting um, interviewees coming up. I hope you'll listen to those. This was Micah McCurry Live, number eight, with Brother Rob Robido. We will talk to you again very soon. Thank you so much for listening. I hope this was a help to you as it was to me. If you did find it helpful, message me on Facebook or Instagram at Micah McCurry. I'd love to hear from you. Catch you next time.